great time worshiping the Lord. Amen. It's good to know that you know we're going to be doing that for eternity. We're going to be doing that for eternity. We're going to be praising God. We're going to be worshiping God. We're going to be adoring Him and extolling His virtues. And God has uh, instituted that, uh, instituted praise and worship, so that we can declare the virtues of God. We can extol the virtues of God right here, right now. I just want to welcome each one of you. Hey, this morning, I want to ask us a very frank and open question. You know, how many of you enjoy receiving report cards? Oh, we have one hand there. Can, can I see your hands? Growing up in school, the girls always used to outperform the boys, and, uh, at least in my class. And, uh, you know, the day the report cards are given... And, uh, you know, uh, we used to always find these girls who were, you know, who had these long faces, so forlorn and so sad. And then you find out they are, you know, they are in that, uh, you know, that season of extreme grief because they had got 98.5%. And, and, and here we are, you know, waiting for that one and a half marks to get through and not to see the red. You know, we are content and, you know, in a place of great contentment. But, you know, uh, report cards and performance appraisals, uh, most of us, you know, don't look forward to it. Uh, some, of us, some of us do, like those brave hands uh, which went up. But actually, you know, it, it points us to reality. It shows us where we are. It shows us whether we have put in effort. It shows us where we are. And uh, it's a great thing because, you know, if we need to make any course corrections, then we can do so. If we need to make any course corrections at all, then we can do so. And when God gives a report card, man, you better sit up and take notice. When God gives a report card, because, you know, when the teachers give a report card, then you can say, you know, maybe she was lenient or, you know, this sir, he was very strict. Maybe he was in a bad mood when he was correcting this and so on. But what, when God gives a report card, when God gives a feedback and a report saying, you know, this is what you've done, which is good, and this is what you, are, you have to do, and this is where you're going wrong. And he says, you know, I must warn you that you're on the brink of a fall. You know, we better take notice, right? And we have a similar situation in the Bible where God gives a review and he gives a report card. And it's not to individuals, but it's to churches. And as we approach this milestone of 10 years, it's good for us to, to really go through this and see what God has to say to the seven churches. And we are in the book of Revelation. And if you can turn there, the book of Revelation, we're going to be reading a few verses and then park ourselves there, try to understand it a little more and observe what God has to say. So the book of Revelation, the whole thing unfolds when you see John in the island of Patmos, chapter 1 and verse 9. And he has this vision. He sees Jesus himself. He sees Jesus who says, you know, I am the Alpha and Omega. And then he says, you know, write these things down. These are messages to the seven churches in Asia. And he names those churches, Ephesus and, uh, and so on, Smyrna and uh, Thyatira and so on. So he names these churches and he says, these are the messages that you need to write down and communicate to the angels of the church. Now the Greek word for angels, angelos, meaning a messenger the messenger of the church, and by implication, probably the leadership of that particular church. Now, uh, Bible scholars say, you know, uh, these seven churches could be, you know, progressive, uh, or the progression of the church during the church age. 
you know, one after the other. And some others say it is actually about, literally about seven physical church locations and God's message for this. But whatever may be the viewpoint, the thing is this, that there are valuable lessons to be learnt even as we study God's uh, feedback to these seven churches. Things that we can apply personally, individually to our own lives, and things that we can apply corporately as a church. And I think it's good that we, we study it and take notice of what God has to say. So let's start at Revelation chapter 2. Revelations chapter 2. And this is uh, God saying to the angel of the church or the messenger of the church of Ephesus, write, These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. And golden lampstands refer to the seven churches. And seven stars referring to the, the seven angels or the messengers. And we see that in verse 20 of the previous chapter. And then he says, I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles, and are not, and have found them liars. And you have persevered, and have patience, and have labored for my name's sake, and have not become weary. Well, that's a good report. That's a good report, isn't it? He's saying, I know your works, and I know your labor, the effort that you put in. I know your works, I know your labor, and your patience. And your, and your intolerance for things that are evil. You know, you cannot tolerate things that are evil. You know, you are sensitive to these things. You want to do the right thing. You cannot tolerate sin. You're a person of integrity. And he says, you have labored for my name's sake, for the name of Jesus, for the cause of Jesus. You have labored, you have worked, and have not become weary. You've not become tired. You're still going on. You are working. And then he says in verse 4, Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. That you have left your first love. And he says, Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. But this you have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And then he goes on to say, there's a reward for the one who overcomes. But this is what he says. This is what astounding. He says, you know, I know your work. I know the labor. I know that you work for the name of Jesus, for the cause of the kingdom. And then he says something amazing. Nevertheless, you have left your first love. You have left your first love. But we can ask God, God, but I've been working, God. And it's for the sake of your kingdom, God. For the, for the name of Jesus. I've been laboring. No, I've not grown tired. I've not grown weary. But he says, nevertheless, you have left your first love. You have left your first love. And we know Jesus talks about that when he says in um, Matthew 22, 37 to 40, he says, you know, you should love the Lord your God 
with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength. You shall love the Lord your God. He says, I have this against you. You have left your first love. And then he goes on to say, remember therefore from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. So in God's eyes, when that first love is not there, when we are continuing to serve God in different ways, you know, different noble ways perhaps, we're doing these great works, we're doing it in the name of Jesus, but there's some difference. That first love is not there. That intensity, that passion for God is not there. That fellowship, that closeness, that intimacy with God is not there. And God says, remember from where you have fallen. You know, in God's eyes, if we are continuing to live our lives, continuing with the assignment that he's given us, continuing with the, you know, whatever that he's given into our lives, we just continue to live life. But if we live it without that first love, without that passion, without that zeal, without that intimacy, he considers it a lower form. It's not the primary thing. It's not the highest thing. He says, remember from where you have fallen. Repent. Change. Let there be a change in thinking. Let there be a change in the way you function. And he says, do the first works again. Is it worship? Is it spending time with God? Is it reading the word? Is it prayer? Is it witnessing? Do those first works again. Get back to those times of intimacy. Because God considers that higher. And Jesus said, you know, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength. In fact, he was saying, you know, with every fiber of your being, you know, you need to crave for that intimacy with God. And then he says, you know, you will love, you should love your neighbor at yourself, which means ministry or serving God should flow out of that. It should flow out of that and not the other way around. It should flow out of that intimacy. And he says, remember from where you have fallen. And there's a warning. He says, repent or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. I will come and remove that lampstand. You know, lamp, lampstand, lamp, signifying light, signifying truth and knowledge. We are called, as believers, we are called to be light, salt and light. We are called to be influencers. We are called to influence and impact the world for Jesus. And here we see God saying, you know, you better repent. You better change your ways. Get back to those times, to those seasons of intimacy. Otherwise, that influence and impact that you have will not be there anymore. Yes, you will continue to serve. Yes, you will continue to minister. Yes, you will continue in the way that you are continuing. But it will lose its edge. That influence and that impact will not be there. And all of us, you know, we, we want to do something for God. We want to be used by God. We want to bring souls for God. And that's the highest, you know, we want to serve God. And, and that's the passion, the vision of this church, that we need to be salt and light to the city of Bangalore. Wherever we are, in our places of study, in our places of work, in our families, wherever we are, we want to be... God, Jesus has called us to be salt and light. But if we move away from those times of intimacy with God and continue on with ministry, God says, you know, you have fallen. But he gives us another opportunity. He says, repent 
and get back to those first works. I'm sure all of us remember those times when we you know, first came to know the Lord and you know, how passionate we were, how zealous we were. We used to spend hours just reading the word. But then you say, hey, those days were good, man. You know, I didn't have a wife. I didn't have a you know, job. I was studying. You know, those days were good. Much are now, you know, life has become so crowded. But God says, repent and do the first works, which means that you and I are capable of getting back to that same place of intimacy in spite of our schedules, in spite of our crowded life, in spite of our responsibilities. That God is more than willing to have that time of intimacy with us. To have that time of intimacy with us. Otherwise, he will never say repent and change. He will never say that if we are not capable of going back to that place of refreshing. So God is telling us this morning, repent if we have moved away from that place of intimacy. And if you are continuing to do this, there's going to be dryness. That spiritual vibrancy will not be there. That spiritual life will not be there. That edge will not be there. And God wants us to have that edge. God wants us to have that influence and impact. And that is why he's poured out his anointing upon us. And that is why he's given us these gifts. And that is why he's stirring us up. And that is the reason we are alive. Otherwise, we could go on home to be with the Lord. He's left us here so that we can do something with our lives. We have purpose. And that purpose finds meaning and completeness. And it starts by having places, times of intimacy with God. So worship, it could be prayer, it could be word, whatever it is. God is saying, return to the first works. Return to the first works. Let's move on to verse 8, chapter 2 and verse 8. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna, Smyrna write, These things saith the first and the last, who was dead and came to life. I know your works, tribulation and poverty, but you are rich. But I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews, but are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested, and you will have tribulation ten days. Be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has in here, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He's talking about, he knows the works, he knows the tribulation, he knows the poverty. He's not he's talking about the economic condition of the lives of the people in this particular church. And he says, you know, you might be economically be poor, but you are actually very, very rich spiritually. And that's the commendation from God. He's saying you are very rich. You think you are poor, but you are very rich. I know the works. I know the difficult situations. I know the sufferings that you have gone through, the tribulations. But he says, do not fear. Do not fear. You know, uh, we need to ask ourselves, you know, if tomorrow you get up and um, you just find out that um, there's no God, there's no Bible, there's no church, would life continue as it did the day before? Would life for you continue as it did? Or would that be a major change? Would you be shattered? We need to ask ourselves, is Christ worth following in, in spite of difficulties, in spite of tribulations? And this church was doing that. And in fact, the Spirit of God is saying, you know, you're going to encounter to this particular church, it says, you're going to encounter some tough times. You might be thrown into prison for the sake of your faith. 
But then he says, do not fear. You know, persecution is a part and parcel of uh, Christian life. It's part and parcel of our Christian life. Let's face it. In fact, when we read uh, an account from uh, Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 10, Paul writes about uh, afflictions, he writes about persecutions, and this is what he says, 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 10, But you have carefully followed my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, persecutions, afflictions which happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured. And out of them all, the Lord delivered me. Verse 12, yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Persecution can range from maybe an insult, maybe a ridicule in your place of study, your place of work. It could range from that, or it could be, you know, not being allowed to go to a, and worship and fellowship with other fellow, fellow believers if you're coming from a background which is non-Christian. It could mean prison, or it could even mean death. It could it range from a simple insult to death. But a Christian is not isolated, it's not insulated from persecutions. In fact, you know, if you're going through persecutions, God wants to commend you and say, do not fear whatever kind of persecution that you're going through. Do not fear. Do not fear. Do not be afraid of those who can even kill the body, but they can't touch your spirit and your soul. Do not fear. Do not fear. And he says here, be faithful until death. And I will give you the crown of life. You know, when we went to Mangalore uh, a couple of years, maybe three years ago, uh, we went to, the, went, went to APZ Mangalore and worshipped there. There was this student uh, who had come to worship in the church and re- really moved us to know that she, uh, she came from a, a non-Christian background or uh, at least not that denomination and the parents would not allow her to go to church. So she actually enrolled in a coaching class uh, which was after the church timings or before, I'm not sure, so that she could come out of the house, go for the coaching, attend worship, and go back home. You know, there are people like that. For them to come to church, maybe there are people like that over here. For you to come to church this morning was a great struggle. It's something that you start planning from Monday onwards. For you, it's a great struggle. And God knows that. Because he says, I know your works. I know the tribulations that you go through. And he's saying, do not fear. Just hold on. Do not fear. Be faithful. And that's the commendation that we get from God. So persecution is a reality. That's a message that we have for all of us. And in fact, persecution, you know, it's an indication that you really desire to live a godly life. That's what Paul says, no? All those who desire to live a godly life will suffer persecution, some form or the other. So if you're going through some kind of persecution, it means that it's a commendation from God saying, you desire to live a godly life. And therefore, this is happening. Let's move on. Church number three, um, which is Pergamos. And we, uh, we are in verse 12, chapter 2. And to the angel of the church in Perg- Pergamos write, These things, says he, who has the sharp two-edged sword. I know your works, and where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, 
And you hold fast to my name and did not deny my faith, even in the days in which Antipas was my faithful martyr, who was killed among you where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you because you have there those who hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed to idols and to commit sexual immorality. Thus, you also have those who hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. Repent, or else I will come to you quickly and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear. Another account here, and God again says, I know your works and where you dwell and so on, a stronghold of Satan, and you hold fast to my name. And he says, you know, you, did not, you guys did not deny the faith even when you watched a fellow believer being killed for his faith. Antipas is referred to as a faithful martyr. He says, my faithful martyr. And he says, even when he was killed for his faith, you did not give up. You did not say it was too difficult. Let's go back. You continued. You held fast to the faith. But then he says, even in such an environment where people are zealous, where people are passionate, where people you know, are holding on to faith, he says, even in such an environment, there are those who hold on to the doctrine of Balaam and doctrine of Nicolaitans. Now, what are they? These are teachings, a way of life, which talk about sexual immorality, which, uh, especially the Nicolaitans, they were a sect in those early, early church days, and, and they dealt with overindulgence of the flesh, things of the flesh. They were quite liberal in their views in those areas. And, and God is saying, you know, there are people who are holding on to such a teaching and lifestyle. Such a teaching and lifestyle. Sexual immorality and uh, worship of idols. And an idol is something that, you know, that takes the place of God. It takes the place of God. It can be anything. It can be any person. It can be a relationship. It can be something that you devote your time and energy and life to that takes the place of God. And he says, you know, in such an environment of great spiritual fervor, you have these people who are living these lives. Which means that God is saying, you know, you have these people who are unfazed by what is happening around. Who are unfazed. They are not receiving the word. They are so hard-hearted that they are unfazed by what is happening. Even when they saw somebody being martyred for their faith, they are still holding on to their, this way of life. They have made their decision. This is how I will live my life. This is what I am going to do. He says they are unfazed. You know, we have these extra-biblical accounts where when people, when the early church believers, when they were thrown to the lions, when the Roman soldiers saw that, when they saw them singing, even as the lions came and attacked them, we have these accounts where they gave their lives to God. They were so moved. They saw somebody being, you know, having, taking that stand for God. And they gave their lives to God. They said, hey, there's something about this. They are singing. They are holding hands and singing in the face of death. There's something happening. This must be the truth. They gave their heart to God. But here, in spite of that happening, it's so hard-hearted that they're holding on to something that is not of God, something that is not aligned with the Word of God. And, and God says, you know, I will fight against them. I will fight against them. You know, we are enjoying the grace of God. We are enjoying the love of God, the favor of God. Just imagine what it would be to have God against us. 
It's a fearful thing. Now, James 4 and verse 6 says, you know, I will resist the proud, God says. I will resist the proud. If God, who is, you know, who is so amazingly gracious, so loving, if he can start resisting, that's a fearful thing. I don't think we've you know, even experienced anything like that. But God says, you know, these people are so hard-hearted. We need to look into our own lives and say, God, you know, am I rebelling in certain areas? Am I, am I holding on to this thing? Am I holding on to this lifestyle? God is saying, repent, change. He who has an ear, let him hear. And then we move on to verse 18. And to the angel of the church in Thyatira, write, These things says the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire and his feet like fine brass. I know your works, love, service, faith, and your patience. And as for your works, the last are more than the first. And he says, Nevertheless, I have a few things against you because you allow that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess to teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality and to think sacrifice to idols. I gave her time to repent of her immorality, sexual immorality, and she did not repent. And then he talks about the judgment which he is going to bring about. So he says here, I know your works, love, service, faith, your patience. And he says, as for your works, they are increasing. When you started, you know, they were less, and now it's increased. You're doing a good job. But he's saying, I have a few things against you because you allow a certain kind of teaching which is seducing my people to go away from the righteous path. You allow that. I think it's a serious message for us in places of leadership. Maybe places of leadership in churches or in ministry, wherever we are. And God is saying, God is, God is holding us accountable. And he's saying, you know, you allow this thing to happen. They are causing my servants, you know, the people whom we serve, they actually belong to God. He's the shepherd and we are the sheep. The church belongs to him. So we need to be very careful in how we conduct ourselves as ministers of God and how we live our lives as ministers of God. Because if something is leading them away, the way we live our lives, the things that we speak, the things that we do, if it's going to lead them away from God, then he's going to hold us accountable. He's saying, you know, you need to repent. You need to change. And I'm going to bring about um, judgment. So if we know that something is wrong, then it's up to us to bring in loving correction. People in authority. It's for us. And he says, he who has an ear, let him hear. Let's move on to chapter 3. And to the angel of the church in Sardis, write, these things says he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. He says, I know your works. I know that you have a name, that you are alive. No, you have a reputation that you're alive. You have a reputation as a great man of God. You have a reputation as a great worship leader. You have a reputation as an intercessor, maybe. You have a reputation as a prophet, whatever. Maybe you have a reputation as a good husband. Maybe you have a reputation. People looking out say, you know, he's a good husband. He's a fine man. Or she's a good wife, and so on. She's a good parent, good mother, and he is a good father, and so on. But God is saying, you have a reputation that you're alive, but actually I can see through you. I can see through you. There are things that need to change. You're actually dead. God knows what happens you know, behind the four walls. God knows. 
And he's saying, you have a reputation. You're carrying about in the memory you know, of those reputations. You're running on fumes, actually. The fuel is out. You're running on fumes. But God is saying, you have a reputation that you're alive. You are actually dead. Then he goes on to say, be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. For I have not found your works perfect before God. He's saying, no, that thing which is there, that residue which is there, that remnant which is there in your life, that shadow of you know, faith or, or, or spirituality, just strengthen those things. Strengthen it, lest they also die. Strengthen those things. And God is speaking to us. He's telling us, you know, he knows us inside out. People see us on the outside, the words that we speak and the way we behave and all that. But God knows us. He knows us inside out. He knows who we are. And he's saying, repent and change. Repent and change. Let's move on to uh, verse 7. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, right? These things says, he who is holy, he who is true, he who has the keys of David, he who opens and no one shuts and shuts and no one opens. I know your works. See, I have set before you an open door and no one can shut it. For you have a little strength, have kept my word and have not denied my name. Indeed, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not but lie. Indeed, I will make them come and worship before your feet and to know that I have loved you. Because you have kept my command to persevere, I also will keep you from the hour of trial which shall come upon the whole earth, whole world, to test those who dwell on the earth. Behold, I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have, that no one may take your crown. And then he goes on to talk about the reward for the one who overcomes. And this is for those who have been faithful, who who have a little strength, but you know, they've still been faithful. They've held on. They've been faithful. faithful. They've kept the word. And they've not denied the name of Christ. The faithful one, he's saying, hold on. You know, what has been interested in your hands? Hold on to it. Hold fast to it. Maybe things could happen that will try to pry loose and take away those things that have been entrusted. What are those things that have been entrusted to you? Hold fast, be faithful in that. Continue to be faithful. Is it a ministry? Is it, a, is it some responsibility? Family, children, maybe. Some responsibility that is God has entrusted, that assignment that he's given, and he's saying, hold fast to it. Hold fast to it. Be faithful in the things that I've, been, that I've given you. And then we move on to verse 14. The church of the Laodiceans, and he says, To the angel of the church of Laodiceans write, These things says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. And he says, he's addressing those people who are Neither cold nor hot, lukewarm, neither here nor there. You know, the middle of the road, a very dangerous place to be because you could get hit from both sides. Neither cold nor hot, lukewarm. And God is not pleased at all and he's saying, I wish you were either cold, either one of those extremes. 
But this is a very compromising kind of a situation where you have something of the word and you want a lot more of the world as well. You are lukewarm. And God cannot do anything with such a life. God has great plans. Great plans. And I know that we have great desires. We desire God, use us, God, use us and you know, make us and take us to these places and so on. But as long as we are in that place of neither cold nor hot, God cannot use us. And God is saying, you know, you are lukewarm. I'll, I'll vomit you out, I'll spew you out of my mouth. And he says, you know, you say, I am rich, I've become, health, I've become wealthy and I've need of nothing. And do not know that you are wretched, miserable, blind and naked. He's talking about the reasonings sometimes people give in saying, you know, my support structure, my security is my back balance. My security is the assets that I have. You know, I have this, this and this. I don't have need for anything more. You know, I will come and, and be part of the fellowship and be part of the church maybe and, and do those things that are, you know, that minimal thing. But don't expect me to go more beyond that, God. I cannot be a fanatic. I cannot be a radical. You know, my support structure is something else. I have the money. I have the, you know, whatever. And God says, oh, you do not know that you are wretched, miserable, blind, poor, and naked. And verse 18, 18, he says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich. He's saying, you know, come to the source of true riches. Come to the source of true riches. He's saying, come and buy from me refined gold. And then he says, and white garments that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed. You're putting your security in position. Maybe you're putting your security in, in, in the material things that you have. Maybe security even in connections, in relationships, in connections. And God says, let me clothe you with garments of white. Let me be your security. Let me give you that secure, secure and let me establish you. He's saying, I will establish you. I will clothe you in garments of white. I'll make sure that all your insecurities are taken away. And God is saying, he will make sure he'll do that. And then he says, buy from me, I salve, so that your eyes may be opened, so that you, you can see, you can see the great and wonderful things that I have in store. You can see the things that I have in store for you. He said, let the eyes of your heart be open. Let the eyes of your understanding be open. And see God for who he really, really is. And then he says, you know, as many as I love, I rebuke, chasten, therefore be zealous and repent. You know, I know this is not a real feel-good message, you know. There were no amens and applause and all that. It's not a, you know, feel-good message where you, where you go to our church and say yes. But then it's a message, I believe, that will, when we align ourselves to it, to the word, when we receive it, and when we live out what the word says, the decrees, the instructions of the word, that we will see the good happen in our lives. Not only in our lives, in our families, and in the church, when we come together to worship. God wants us 
God wants to take us to a higher level in Him. And when we see these things in the body, you know, it's time for change. You know, repent, by the way, is a, it's not a bad word, is it? It just means change. Change. You know, change the way you were thinking. Change the way you were doing things. It's time to change. 180 degrees. Get aligned with the word of God. Get aligned with the thoughts of God. And the best part is this, that we will enjoy ourselves doing that. That's the conviction of the Holy Spirit. It's not condemnation. In fact, if you look at um, the next verse, you, know, you see the heart of God. Verse 20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and dine with him and he with me. That's the heart of God. And God is saying, you know, guys, you've shut the door on my face. Maybe there are folks here who've, you know, who've not really opened the door to let God come in. No, you've not really, you've heard about salvation and relationship with God and so on. You've not really opened the door. And for such people, you know, God is saying, I want to come in. I want to fellowship. I want to talk. I want to take care of your insecurities. I want to strengthen you. I want to take away all those fears that you have about the present and the future and so on. I want to fellowship. I want to dine with you. You know, at a meal, you're totally relaxed, right? How many of you look forward to you know, going home and having a meal with family and you're totally relaxed and you know, you're in your house clothes and relaxed? God is saying, I want to come and talk to you, fellowship with you. You're my friend. You're the reason I went to the cross. These hard words, you know, they are meant so that you will not cause greater harm for yourself and for others who are connected to your lives. And he's saying, I want to come and dine with you. And for those of us, maybe you know, some of us have closed the door on his face with regard to our time with him, our fellowship with him, our intimacy with him. And God says, I'm not going to force open the door. But I'm going to knock on that door. And if you open that door of your own accord, I've given you free will. If you open that door, if you invite me in, I'm more than willing to take you to that place of intimacy, to take you to that place of first love, and you will see the influence and impact that you can have for him. That's the heart of God. Amen? That's the heart of God. It's not to condemn, it's really to convict us to bring us back to him, to bring us back to him. You know, otherwise, uh, we could just die and go to heaven. The reason that he's put us here is that we could continue that fellowship and at the same time influence and impact others because of the strength we draw from that fellowship. And that's our God. Amen. And this morning, um, as we take part in the Lord's Supper, Let's just remember that God desires you and I to come to Him. God desires you and I to open the door and let Him in and make those changes. God desires us to make certain changes in our lives, make certain decisions in our lives based on what we heard this morning. And even as you take part in the Lord's Supper, you can make those decisions. Because the Lord takes those decisions 
very seriously. Maybe you're thinking, you know, I've made decisions like this thousands of times and never followed through, never been able to keep it. But this is it. You know, if you're willing, then God is able, the Holy Spirit is able to strengthen, empower, and enable you to follow through on those decisions. He's able to do that. He's more than able to do that. Amen. Now once you receive the element, just go ahead and close your eyes. Just pray to God and say, God, I'm making some choices today. Choices to change. And God, I, I'm making them before you. I know you're listening to every word spoken, unspoken. You know it already. So God, I'm coming before you this morning. Maybe it's a decision to get back to the first love, to return to the first works. Maybe it's a choice to, to continue with God in spite of difficult situations, in spite of persecutions. Maybe it's a choice to let go of things that you've been holding off so tightly and you know for sure that, it's, that God is not pleased. Maybe it's immorality and you're thinking, you know, I've done so much. I've gone so far away. And how can God forgive? The Bible says that you know, if if we confess our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us of all unrighteousness. He is faithful and He is just. And just remember that while we were yet sinners, He went to the cross. And that's how much He loves us. He wants you to come back to Him. maybe some of us are in positions of leadership and uh, we are afraid to bring in correction we are afraid to bring in change even though you know that the organization or whatever you are in charge of is heading in the wrong way maybe you can make a choice this morning and say God I want to bring in those corrections, those changes Holy Spirit help me give me the strength, give me the courage to do that Maybe there are some of us here living a dual life. You know, it put on a mask. And the life is running on others' reputation. It's all a facade, an act. But God says, He knows every thought that you think. He knows your heart. He knows my heart. And He's saying, get real. Get real, my son. Get real, my daughter. You're hurting yourself too much. Let the Spirit of God work in you this morning. It's time to let go of that dual life and get back to God. Why are you putting so much pressure, unnecessary pressure on yourselves, presenting a different face to different people? God has created you to be unique and He wants you to have the joy that comes from Him. 
He wants you to be full of that peace that comes from Him. Just come back to Him and say, God, I choose you. I choose to change. I repent. And for those of us who have been faithful all these years, laboring for the sake of the kingdom, hold on to those things that have been entrusted. Hold on to those things that have been entrusted. What is that assignment? What is that heavenly vision? God is calling you to be obedient to it. Hold on to it. Hold fast to that, those things that are interested. Hold fast, nurture, let it grow, let it develop. What are those gifts and the anointings that is placed in your life? Stir it up. It is there for a purpose. It is there for a purpose that the church might be edified. So stir it up and walk in it. Walk in the good works that he has prepared. That he has prepared. Walk in it. Maybe there are some of us saying, you know, I'm putting my trust in something else, in people. My security is in connections, influence and power and position. My security in, is in assets and my bank balance. And God says, you know, these are temporal things. What will you do, my brother, my sister? If you die today, you can't take your money with you. And all relationships will come to an end. Every possession you can't take with you. These are temporal. God has given it to you so that you can enjoy your life, live life in fullness. But your security, let it be upon Him who gives richly all things to enjoy. And God wants to clothe you with garments of white. Too long have you been in insecurity. But God knows your tears and God knows your fears. And He says, let me clothe you with these garments of white. He's saying, let me open your eyes to see wonderful and amazing things from the law. Open your eyes to the greater reality, the spiritual reality. Hallelujah. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Father, we thank you for the cross. Lord, we thank you that the cross achieved all this for us. Lord, you gave it all on the cross so that we could be yours, Master. That we could be yours, O oh God. Precious possessions, God. Father, we acknowledge that. We love you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Father God. Master, we thank you for the cross this morning. We thank you for the victory of the cross. Father, we thank you for the liberty that we have, Master, in you, O oh God. We thank you. We thank you, O oh God. Father, we just want to thank you for all the decisions that were made, Master. You know everything, every thought, O oh God. We thank you. We thank you, God. Yes, Lord, together as a church, O oh God, we come back to you. Lord, we want to return to those times of intimacy with you, O oh Master. Father, even as we return, O oh God, to that first love, O oh Father God. Father, we pray, O oh God, that we be zealous for you, Master. 
Oh, that we be zealous for you, O oh God, and the things of the Spirit, O oh Master God. That we will love you with all our heart, with all our mind, with all our soul and strength. And Lord, that we will love our neighbors, O oh God, as ourselves, O oh Father God. Father, we pray that our ministry will flow out of that, O oh Master God. Flow out of that fullness and touch and transform lives, O oh God. We thank you for these years of faithfulness, God. We thank you for the great things that you have done, Father God. Lord, for the refining that you have done, O oh Master God, for establishing us, O oh Master. We thank you. We are so grateful, O oh God. We thank you, God. Thank you for the promise that you will lead us in times to come, that you will take us through, through the fire and through the water. Lord, your presence will be there, O oh Master, and that's more than enough for each one of us, O oh God. You are our everything. You are our all in all. We thank you, God. We thank you. We give you all praise and all glory. Why don't you put our hands together and just give a big clap offering to God and say, God, we praise you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, God, bless you. Thank you, God. Thank you. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you. The Lord be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace now and forevermore. Amen. Amen. We serve a big God. Amen. And the joy of the Lord is our strength. We trust that this message was a blessing to you. We'd love to hear from you. You can email us at contact at apcwo.org. Also, visit our website www.apcwo.org for additional resources. Thank you for listening and God bless you.